0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mary Ellen Tuthill. She is a financial writer and journalist and author of a new book called Repo Madness, A Simpleton's Guide to the Street's Wicked Ways. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Mary.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Just give us your background a little bit before you got to writing this book.
2: Well, initially, um, I was a journalist. I worked in broadcast uh, radio for 10 years and um, covered a lot of interesting stories along the way. And then I decided, because I really couldn't move around the country for personal reasons, uh, I couldn't really uh, progress in that career as I would have liked. So I decided uh, something I didn't know anything about to get into financial planning. And I became a financial advisor for 13 years. So uh, I learned a lot about uh, money, but I didn't know about a a lot. I I would come to find out I didn't know the half of it. Uh, After I worked as a financial advisor, and during that time I had a column, a financial column in the local newspaper, so I had some writing experience. And of course with my um, Broadcast background, did a lot of writing. So I procured a job as a financial writer at iMoneyNet, which is the go-to place for, um, was, it's not around anymore, it's somehow uh, melded into another department or something at the corporation, but at the time, it was the go-to place for money market fund data. And uh, we had uh, four publications, uh, Offshore Money Fund, Money Fund Report. We had a monthly pub we did, um, all on money markets. And um, so I wrote about money market funds for 11 years. And uh, when I got the job, I was excited to have a steady paycheck. And uh, I thought money market funds were pretty boring. (laughs) They were. But once the financial crisis hit, Everything, you know, went crazy and I became pretty obsessed with it all. And over the years when I was writing stories, I just put articles aside, papers, etc. And when I left in uh, 2017, I had boxes and boxes of material. So I ended up going through it and putting the book together. Very good. So
1: the whole thing is about what's called the shadow banking system. Um, yes. And most people are not really familiar. Just let's start with the basics of what is the shadow banking system. <laughs>
2: Well, I seal from Ellen Brown, who has a great book, which I'll be referring to uh, later. Uh, in her book, she defines it as financial intermediaries not subject to regulatory oversight involved in facilitating the creation of credit across the global financial system. It also refers to unregulated uh, activities by regulated institutions. Okay. so and, Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: It's a huge, uh, just give us a sense of, the size of it, maybe even before the financial crisis, like in 2007 and now, just to give us a sense of the perspective.
2: Well, I'm, I'm not sure about the whole I, – recently I read it was $52 trillion. Um, But what I'm dealing with here isn't that large, I mean, relatively speaking. I, I'm just basically um, dealing with uh, uh, repo, and uh, that's a smaller market. That's about $13 trillion, the repo market. And um, what it's I like I like to convey to the to the uh, listeners is uh, the imagery, if you don't mind, that I use to uh, allow them to sort of uh, have a visual of this. And in the book, I'm sure you saw I I compare it to uh, fiber optics around the world, uh, global cables, so that when you look from the moon, the Earth resembles a giant ball of twine with all these, these gazillion cables over our heads and inside these cables are trillions of transactions spilling off profits from fees and you know arbitrage et cetera. so but we're under those cables and we're walking around every day and we don't know anything about it I mean it's it's so complicated and I don't know if I did the best job I did the best I could trying to grapple with it because I'm not a mathematician I'm not an economist I'm not a market guru I just took all those papers and put what I had together
1: so let's put it this way, it's a huge amount of money, $13 trillion, even the $52 trillion. Why is this not regulated? Do you think that the Federal Reserve and the central bank... Yeah, well,
2: that, that's what the, the book, what I do in the book uh, and, uh, is, is sort of underscore that a lot more than most people do, um, just in terms of the implications of it. I mean, unregulated industries don't have a great history uh, when it comes to uh, serving the greater good. Uh, oftentimes, the bottom line is always, you know, predominant. And this industry uh, basically emerged in the 80s uh, completely unregulated. Uh, the um, banks, the as I mentioned, the Fed used reverse agreements or the overnight short-term loans. The 70s and 80s, the Fed was using that device, lending cash and taking securities as uh, collateral when they wanted to um, loosen the money supply and they wanted to tighten it they would lend securities and take collateral it was just a monetary tool they used and nobody really paid much attention and it was all fine but then the investment banks at that time uh, began to uh, adopt this uh, overnight um, short-term loans to arbitrage um, on treasury basis prices you know and uh, bet basically and predict interest rate moves and all sorts of things and this happened um again with no oversight and in 1982 a company called Drysdale Securities uh went um bankrupt uh because of you know bad bets and and they owed also they owed interest uh treasury interest was very high then and people were holding these treasuries and when they wanted the um the other side of the uh, contract, the treasury holders, when interest came due, it was high because it was like 11, 12 percent at one point in the early 80s. So uh, they didn't factor in that they, go- they were going to have to pay the interest to these uh, treasury holders, and they didn't have any money. So they went to the um, uh, custodial bank, uh, Chase, and th- they told them they were two- 270 million in the hole, and Chase ended up uh, reluctantly, even though they had no, all they did were were custodial. Uh, paid it just to to keep everything stable but the point of that story why why i include it in the book is that the press uh you know which is all i can really go by to analyze the situation you know indicated the christian science monitor in particular that this but this uh disruption um of this investment bank because they had a few billion under management at that point uh three or four billion uh, could destabilize the entire uh, treasury market, $500 billion treasury market, totally destabilize it with contagion. And so that's why it was taken care of very quickly. But what I ask is, when that occurred, why didn't the regulators look at this as something that could be, you know, expose people to, to bad things, <laughs> well, you know, the markets?
1: Why did the regulators not move in at that point?
2: No, they, I don't know. I mean, I just the repo. I will tell you this: they know very, and, and uh, obviously the SEC and all those people know about repo. I mean, that's that's a given. But the uh, the politicians, you know, don't know anything. I I'm 15 years of going through papers and documents galore. I found one instance in 15 years of a politician even uttering the word repurchase agreement which is what repos are repurchase agreements and it was ed koch in 1982 uh, (laughs) when this dry steel thing happened
1: so you're saying like people in the senate banking committee and the house financial services committee don't really know much about this whole repo shadow they
2: don't my friend mary fricker who i I mentioned earlier she runs repowatch.org and she's really really you know delved into this very very deeply and uh, she goes to her congresspeople to talk about it and she said when she tells them about it, glazed eyes. They don't and, and she she actually bought a bunch of my books and sent them to a bunch of congresspeople. I was very flattered by that. Um, but yeah, what they do you don't think they should
1: be doing. Maybe they don't understand it. But if they did understand it, what should they be doing? Should they be regulating the entire shadow banking market?
2: Of course. Well, well, I, you know, I'm sort of a a dreamer in the sense that I think that all of this is for naught and that they need to completely upend the entire system, which is obviously something probably won't happen in my lifetime, or the next lifetime. But, but nonetheless, I think that's what needs to be done. I think it needs to be uh, completely reformed from the bottom up and that the whole thing is, well, as you know, and I know, it's out of control. And uh, people don't have a grasp at all of the depth and breadth of of what they're dealing with.
1: You um, must be making a lot of money, though. Who is making this money in the repo market that would? Resist well, all those,
2: all election? those, in, all those investment banks um, that, and I go through. That's why I, um, the purpose of the book is to just try to lift a lid on on that in the sense of giving people an understanding of some of the, the basic mechanics, the, the, the short-term loans, the collateral, and the securities lending. And I'm I'm not involved in the business model for these people, but you know, from what I've read and I understand, you know, they make money by betting most of the time, leveraging um, you know, fees are huge, uh, transaction fees. And they they just have all kinds of I mean I wrote for um, eleven years about this stuff, but unfortunately my brain doesn't retain it like I would like it to. But if you read the articles I sent, you know you could see that I was writing about uh, commercial collateralized commercial paper and collateral with real, real estate investment trusts and um, and 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 they make money by um, basically it's a casino and by betting, leveraging, arbitrage that sort of thing. So. Um, and but the money you know, just goes to the fortunate right. few.
1: If they uh, bet wrong, who, who makes up the difference? If they think rates are going down, it goes up or vice versa. What, who, who picks up the loss? Well, they would. So, so they don't yeah. always win.
2: No, they don't always win. But um, the, but they, they have a very good system in place that um, allows them to, to do very well. <laughs> like I said, with one of the... Um, uh, anecdotes in the book you know it was like securities lending where they borrow stock and they put it they, they play, play play games with it like putting it taking from one account that has withholding tax and putting it in another account that doesn't have a withholding tax you know even tiny things like that you know they spill uh, spill off uh, little profits and those little profits add up to big money. Yes. They have lots of different strategies. I mean, many more than I probably could ever even imagine, to be honest. But We're
1: going um, to take a break, actually. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mary Tuthill. Her book is called Repo Madness A Simpleton's Guide to the Street's Wicked Ways. Uh, there's a website related to her, which is called repowatch.org. We'll be back after this.
0: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big, they call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mary Tuthill. She is a financial author and journalist, and uh, her latest book is called "Repo Madness: A Simpleton's Guide to the Street's Wicked Ways." There's a website related to it, which can tell you more about this whole field, which is RepoWatch.org. Welcome back to the show, Mary.
2: Thank you, Jordan. Um, I did want to read this. I thought this was really interesting okay. because this is back in 1987 at Jackson Hole, where economist named Franklin Edwards spoke, and this is what he said. The uh, and this is you know obviously the um, the trading and all of the uh, repo is already underway at this point. It's it's after 1982. The 82 83 is when it really started to go. Uh, expand, but it's still early, relatively speaking. So he says in 1987, the idea that this this system may in some way be seriously flawed is an alien thought. The notion that it should be drastically changed shocks us. If it works, don't change it, is a philosophy that needs no proselytizing. But the world is changing and our financial system is no longer working well. Worse, it is failing in ways that are not immediately obvious, giving us a false sense of comfort. The seeds of change planted in the 1960s have long ago sent their shoots to every corner of the financial landscape. Institutions are being entangled and will eventually be smothered unless the financial system is restructured to accommodate these changes. So I thought that was pretty powerful considering, you know, the time and what subsequently occurred. (laughs)
1: <laughs> was the financial system restructured at that point in 1987?
2: Oh that- no, no, nothing was done. This was, ta- this was talking to to deaf ears. I see. This was his saying, you know, on the horizon, things could uh, go go sideways quickly, and we're not prepared. And he was sort of giving a warning that 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 the markets were not performing. In, a, in a, I don't want to say ethical, that's too judgmental, but in a prudent manner, you know. Yeah. So
1: did, did this uh, the repo market have a uh, role in the crash of 1987 and what happened then?
2: Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend. I know. Okay.
1: So, <laughs> so let's move forward then to 2007 and 2008. Uh, explain what the, the shadow banking system, what happened to it when things started unraveling at that time?
2: Well, what i'd like to do is is uh, back up a little before we get there because there's another bankruptcy i talk about in the book lombard wall which happened uh three months uh after drysdale after that first one with the um it, oh by the way they always pay interest on treasuries now so that was resolved quickly uh so in 1982 just after uh drysdale another firm went bankrupt because one of their um Clearing agents refused to clear trades. They had concerns about their uh, they would hire uh, other institutions to work with them on all their trading and um, this institution refused to clear trades for Lombard wall and uh, It froze and and it went bankrupt. So this is really important and nobody writes about this uh, in the mainstream, I mean scholars do but but this is a really important development so, what happened in this, in this situation was in the bankruptcy court. Now, repo is a secured short term loan, right? Yeah. So, so the judge said, well, this is, you know, this would have under the uh, automatic stay in a bankruptcy. It'd be a frozen asset, you know, for the creditors. And this would have thrown repo into complete chaos and actually ended the entire repo system if this held because the whole point of repo is liquidity, right? and being able to get that money fast, you know, that's the real key. So a bankruptcy would have, uh, you know, the fear that uh, their repo uh, agreements would be frozen would take away that confidence in the liquidity. So this was a big deal. And uh, people got really upset about it and sent letters to Congress and, you know, tried to whatever, uh, you know, get some action. And they did. Now, this is where the regulation comes in. Again, nobody looked at the entire system and what it was capable of of wreaking havoc. Uh, They just uh, said, oh, OK, the bank said, we have to change the law because we cannot have this happen again. So Congress stepped up and the IRS, and they exempted the collateral in the repo from the bankruptcy stay. And the collateral that they exempted were fungible assets like uh, CDs, treasuries, you know, conservative. And that the majority of assets in the repo were uh, of that nature. But uh, other collateral was also uh, involved. And as the years went on, collateral took on a whole different, you know, morphed into like, Exchange-traded funds, baskets of, baskets of mutual fund shares, um, tons of different uh, securities uh, or uh, collateral. But they weren't exempt, just the conservative ones. But that kept the, um, the repo market going. And then in long-term capital that uh, fund blew up in 1998, they had a lot of repo that was not exempted. So that made for a messy cleanup. And uh, they decided to lobby really hard to get more exemptions from this bankruptcy stay. And by 2005, Congress and the IRS uh, allowed virtually all collateral in all repo agreements to be exempt from bankruptcy. So this woman, Jean Sissoko, she writes about this extensively. She's she's very good. And this is a quote that, um, that she said, Uh, After the 2005 and she felt that had a definite uh, uh, implications in the crash because people could, could, uh, you know, uh, run on the uh, repos really fast. They had nothing in their way because not all of them were exempt from bankruptcy. So um, she wrote the fact that the biggest players in the financial industry will be able to exempt whatever transactions they so choose from bankruptcy is apparently acceptable to Congress now we don't know how that affected trading but you've got to wonder did they gravitate more to these short term overnight loans because of that so would it be uh, i haven't read anything about that nobody i mean maybe someone's written about it but i haven't found them but you know that th- this would cause uh, an actual shift in trading patterns because you're going to gravitate to something that you know you can liquidate yeah um so and so and and then the implications of of a run the uh, attorney who represented Lehman said that this automatic stay exemption was uh, massively destructive for Lehman during the crisis. It just you know, lit the fire, the gasoline even more. And um, but nobody knows about this. I mean, that these transactions that you're in business and you're doing a transaction, and normally, if your uh, company went bankrupt, it would be frozen. But it isn't. And is that fair? Is that okay? I mean, it's never even written about. And I'd venture to say the Congress people don't even know it exists, this exemption. You know, just rubber stamped and went on.
1: So specifically, why don't you explain how that led to the Lehman Brothers, I guess probably the Bear Stearns uh, collapse in 2008 uh, in, in both cases. Specifically, how did this whole repo situation Because they went down very quickly, both Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. You know, a week or so when the word got out.
2: Well, that's because a money market fund called the Reserve uh, in the money market fund land. You you know, you have to maintain a a a net asset value of a dollar. Right, you can't. um,
1: As I say, can't break the buck.
2: right? right, Yeah. Well, the Reserve Fund broke the buck, and uh, and then there was um, and then the Lehman contagion went and repo. uh deals no one knew where Lehman's repo deals were because everything's so completely utterly interconnected so that breaking the buck and um and and and, and, uh uh, you know obviously fear about lehman's stability um caused and you know caused the entire system because again nobody knew globally everybody had lehman paper and um and it just caused a run
1: so that's kind of counterparty risk, is what they call it, right? I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, that. yep. Yeah. Yep. So okay, so it, it was a crisis of confidence, kind of similar to what happened this year with Silicon Valley Bank. It just happened right. very quickly because of lack of confidence. Everybody wanted to get their money out at the same time. Is that kind of similar to what happened with Lehman and Bear Stearns?
2: Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So could
1: that have been prevented? Uh,
2: well, Lehman was really overextended in other ways, I'm sure, with their leverage, and uh, it was—I think—it was a lot more complicated than that. You know what I'm saying? Just the—I'm just focusing on the repo and what happened with that, but I'm not going to pretend I understand the, the entire picture. picture. Oh, yeah. My, <laughs> right.
1: and, and at the time, the solution—the government came in and, and insured all money market funds, right, to It did, money.
2: and you know, it was really interesting because because I, wa- I was sitting in the in the. In the uh, center, you know, right where money market, we track money market funds every day. And I, you know, I read I read different places that people, you know, uh, t- had taken a lot out of money market funds, but they really didn't take that much. I would have remembered, you know.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: I kind of think that's been overstated over the years because I think if it was a huge exit, you know, I would have remembered the data because I saw the data every day.
1: <laughs> so, I but, mean, is uh, that the right thing to do for the government to step in and insure all money market funds because they were worried about a run on money market funds. I mean, yeah, were...
2: I suppose at the time, sure, in the in the in the in the moment. But you know, this whole thing with the government bailouts. I mean, I don't want to digress from the book, but just a quick aside is this so, this short-term banking thing for um, the banks that they just did, like in March.
1: Yeah, the Social they, bank and, and Republic. yeah,
2: you know, they're giving they're loaning the banks the collateral. Never done that before. Like, case they get in trouble but it's just weird all these inter um you know this injection of all these different programs it's just insane i i do contend the whole system is insane so
1: (laughs) you're you're saying on one side that there's not enough regulation and on the other side you're saying but the banks are taking the government is taking too much action by (laughs) ensuring well it's
2: not good action it's it's like uh plugging the leak in a boat you know it's not it's not it's reactive it's all reactive.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, it's, it's it's sure they're interacting, but they're just it's 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 out of control. They're just plugging leaks in a boat, and, and then, no, that doesn't do you and you and me any good. At least me, it doesn't do me any good uh, in terms of my finances and my. Uh, you know, I you know I'm, I'm hugely uh, upset about the income inequality from all this. You know that all these assets are being uh, in that those fiber optic cables over our heads is trillions and trillions of dollars. And in my view, you know, they should be redirected to the real economy. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's nuts. <laughs>
1: yeah. But anyway. Equality, yeah. Okay. We're going mean, to take another
2: break. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's huge. Everybody knows that. That's not news. <laughs> um, okay, we're going
1: to take another break now. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mary Tuthill. Her book is called Repo Madness, A Simpleton's Guide to the Streets' Wicked Ways. Uh, A website you can find out more about this is repowatch.org. We'll be back after this.
3: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mary Tothill. Her book is called Repo Madness, A Simpleton's Guide to the Street's Wicked Ways. A website you can find out more about this topic is repowatch.org. Welcome back to show, Mary.
2: Oh, thank you, Jordan. We want to
1: explain um, the, the collateralized <laughs> backing of these securities a little bit. So go ahead and do that.
2: Yeah, well, what I, I think the point the book tries to make is uh, to open, and it's not meant for people who normally read finance. I really want people who don't to read this book because it just, I, I try to uh, convey it in layman's terms because that's all I can do, being a layman, but but I really do. I really the whole point of the book is to let give people a bird's eye view of what goes on behind the curtain on Wall Street. just the mechanics of it, just to give them a little idea that they didn't have yesterday that they'll have today. And one of the aspects, the three aspects of the whole shadow banking is repo, collateral, and securities lending. Those are the three pronged contributors to the um, shadow banking system, and how they they're like a specially delivery system for liquidity and how they manage their um, their assets and collateral. You know, it's not a simple thing. It's not just collateral. So I'm going to read a quote because I'm they're better at saying it than I am. This is from the Fed in 2018. The free circulation of collateral comes at a cost, namely the reuse of collateral, increase interconnectedness and con- contribute to their fragility in financial markets by increasing uncertainty regarding who holds the collateral, the ability counterparties to return collateral and who is entitled to the collateral in case of default. And the reason they wrote, they they wrote that is because collateral is not just sitting there. Colla- this, this is, crazy the same collateral is being used from multiple transactions uh-huh. so, so the use and reuse of collateral can create long collateral chains in which one security is used for multiple transactions these collateral chains have a potential to propagate uncertainties and amplify fragility in times of market stress
1: so if someone so- bankrupt they don't know and it's backed by collateral. There could be many different claims on the same collateral.
2: That's right. Or yeah, exactly.
1: And has that in fact ever happened? And has been a conflict? I don't
2: know. I don't know, but I know that um, that this um, rehypothecation is what they call it. These, uh, you know, uh, using the same collateral for um, for many different transactions uh, is a source of potential uh, instability in the markets. Do you think and, that, um, stop,
1: that collateral should only be used for one transaction and should not be used for several transactions?
2: I think that would make sense. And yeah. and even the the investors themselves don't um, know what's going on because uh, in the book I give an example from somebody else, of course, about a rule called 15C33, where an investor can buy $500 for stock A, borrow $500 using stock A as collateral, to buy stock B. And the dealer who is managing the assets can then pledge $700 um, based on that transaction by the client in a totally unrelated transaction. So it's complicated. All this is like really complicated. And the uh, investors sign off on this. It's 140% of the, of the price of the uh, investor's money that the uh, dealer can take and invest in something else. And they don't know about it the investors sign off on paperwork they don't know about it
1: but if the stock market were to go down sharply the value of that collateral in those stocks would go down sharply too would that cause and affect the margin call uh
2: probably yeah
1: yeah and there would be a kind of a rippling effect right I mean, well
2: yeah 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 of course yeah
1: right isn't that what was happening in two, eight, 1987 and 2008 there's kind of a cascading effect because the laws creating more losses and more um and affect margin costs
2: yes yeah
1: so that could happen again you're saying
2: oh yes of course i mean none of the inherent problems that happened in 2008 i don't feel have been addressed at all Uh, um you know the banks are the big banks are better capitalized and there's all that but there's a there's a 52 trillion dollar shadow banking system out there and there are non-banks that are involved in all of this interconnected with the traditional banks so it's it's you know it's a hot mess hot mess
1: one thing that people are very familiar with is money market funds which you've covered for so long and in thought money market funds are a lot of repos and so on
2: oh should, yeah should yeah absolutely
1: that their money market funds may not be as stable as they think
2: well i don't want to uh, conjecture on that um uh i feel uncomfortable you know, okay. so I, mean, if, I think that people are, you know, but you know, money. all I can tell you, all, right. I'll tell you one anecdote, okay? I knew a guy at um, Charles Schwab ran a big fund, we were kind of friends. And the minute I mentioned to him about F, uh, federal home loan banks uh, having an extremely heavy concentration in money market fund repo, he stopped talking to me.
1: <laughs> so what was that telling you?
2: I, I don't know. Federal home loan bank is a whole other story. Um, but, but yeah, I, I would want to conjecture. I'm not an economist, you know, uh, on something like that. I just want to share, you know, what I wrote in the book. So yeah. um, so anyway, the securities lending, again, equally complicated, also exempt from the automatic stay. Not only are repurchase agreements exempt from the automatic bankruptcy, but all the securities lending, you know, where you borrow money to short a stock and all that, they're all exempt from the automatic stay in bankruptcy. So this is huge. Uh, Anyway.
1: Go go into, explain how this could kind of cascade. There could be uh, a black swan of some kind that would set off uh, a patch, you might say. And then explain how this could kind of cascade out of control of the regulators. Well,
2: because uh, all of these transactions and the trillions of dollars uh, at at these institutions would be uh, immediately um, liquidated and you know that could cause obviously a problem a run <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because they don't have to they, they can't freeze them because of bankruptcy they no matter what these 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 uh situations would unwind
1: and so when you lose confidence in the public in fact there's a run in the bank as happened at S- signature bank and silicon valley bank and they can go down real really quick yeah
2: I mean, the guy from Lehman, the the attorney for the uh, bankruptcy, he's he 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 died, but he was quoted by someone that I quote in my book. You know, he he, he said it was a massive uh, problem, the uh, the exemption for Lehman uh, in the bankruptcy, massive having that. and there are scholars who can if people want to learn more about it gene Sosisco is good there are people out there who agree with the uh, with the exemption and people who don't so it's not written about in the mainstream but it's online if people want to learn more about it
1: so you're saying like this is the lawyer at layman brothers yeah you're seeing this as a problem before things unwound
2: oh no after no wow during. During. <laughs> during yeah
1: but they had no idea
2: before no no. I mean, well, Sissoko, who was a scholar on this, she knows all about it. She does say, you know, she thinks it was a very much a contributing factor to the financial crisis. All of it was exempted three years before, just three years before. Yeah. So, you know.
1: So what is lurking out there today in 2023 uh, that we don't know that's about to hit us?
2: Oh, I don't know. It's, uh, that's the that's the beauty of it. You don't know.
1: In, in the repo market that you do know so well.
2: Well, no, I I can't predict um, uh, what's going to happen in the repo market. I just know that you know. Um, I just want to convey how it works.
1: But there's a lot of danger, you're saying, in the current system.
2: Well, yeah, there is, because yep. people are borrowing long. I mean, borrowing short, and I'm borrowing long, lending long, borrowing short uh, with repo. It's it's uh, overnight. Uh, keep in mind through this whole thing, repo. Rolls over on a daily basis, and all these investments that the money borrowed on very cheap rates till recently, anyway, uh, is are invested in longer-term uh, situations. So you know, if the repo market, if the repo market didn't roll over, had a problem, you know, these people would be, you know, sure up. They they wouldn't have the cash to continue their their um um their ongoing you know investments would implode. So
1: <laughs> that's what happened with Silicon Valley Bank is they had long treasuries and mortgages and so on, and their liabilities, their deposits, flew out the door really quickly, and they, they didn't have the cash to meet it. That right. right. And because
2: interest rates, that's because the bond down um, price. Uh, yeah.
1: And, and that could happen again. Now, you, in, in the title of your book, you call it The Streets Wicked Ways. Wicked kind of sounds like they're intending to do this. This is not by accident
2: what what no it's not well well I yeah I'm not going to get into the psychology (laughs) I mean read about in the book I write you know Luigi Zingales writes about this and I quote him extensively in the book about the uh the underlying culture uh but before we get to that I just uh I just wanted uh just take a couple of minutes to uh address the opacity in the market and, you know, because this is another point I want to make is that people do not know what is where and when is how. So Gary Gensler, the SEC commissioner, said in 2021 that the securities lending market, which is about $8 trillion, I think, or maybe 3 or $4 trillion, um, is opaque. This is 2021. That means they can't see anything. They don't know where these transactions, they don't know who's vulnerable, who isn't. And I, the International Monetary Fund said like a a week ago that there are gaps in regular regulatory reporting of big data so i won't go into the other efforts but in the book i do mention a few other efforts to try to grapple with this and you know they're not successful you know the there's a repo market called the bilateral repo market and in that market repo uh the two uh, actors don't have an intermediary so there's no um like central place where the um transactions can be monitored and tracked because it's between two parties and there's not an intermediary or a central clearing and that's a big market but you know for years they've been trying to get information on the size and and what's you know and then they have to an extent but it's always an ongoing effort and and it's I mean nobody's going to sit down someday and say oh we've got this we've got every transaction we know we're all the um the uh the uh, investments are located and how they're going to play out you know no it's 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 all uh you
1: well, know. It like the sec is very well aware of the situation are there things that they could do either in a regulatory way or there legislation from congress that would
2: fix this no it's too big it's too out of control it, i mean that's why i say it's completely out of control nobody can do it right now it has to be in my opinion it would be a revolution of course but in my opinion, the whole thing has to be scrapped because it's too big. It's $52 trillion. How is anybody going to sit down and say, I know exactly where all that money is and where the risk might be and what people are doing? Of course, no, they don't. It's too much. It's huge. And um, anyhow, so, so that's, um, you know, the problem. There are two rules recently put forth by the SEC. Uh, this is recent. To provide transparency in the securities lending market, of course, because of what Gensler said, and transparency in short selling markets. So this is like a month ago or a year ago, but this is now, and this is 2023, and they're still trying to figure out how we can find out where is what, you know, it's very... (laughs) Uh, discouraging, but uh it's because it is it's and well, I won't repeat myself. Yeah. Another thing I think is sad. I think it's really sad that there are thousands of companies out there, and all they do is service the shadow banking system with complex uh, algorithms for. Collateral optimization, and I mean, I saw a ton of this when I was writing for iMoneyNet, you know, treasury management, Uh, and I just think of all the brain drain of what people that are doing this kind of work, fintech work, if the whole system were upended for everybody to share it, from, the you know, everybody in the country to have a part, what good they could be doing with their brains than, uh, you know, being involved in all this. It takes a huge brain drain on the society. That's just yeah. my opinion. All right.
1: Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mary Tuthill, author of Repo Madness, A Simpleton's Guide to the Street's Wicked Ways. You can find out more on a website related to this called repowatch.org. We'll be back after this.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mary Tuthill, author of the book Repo Magnus: A Simpleton's Guide to the Street's Wicked Ways. A related website is repowatch.org. Welcome back to the show, Mary.
2: Thank you. Um, uh, The second half of the book is What About Us and it it, it, it basically what I did was I I retrieved uh, testimony and comments and papers and this is the tragedy because from economists who recognize what I recognize and articulate it so much better than I ever could. So it's not that I'm just sitting here beating the drum. I mean, these are well-respected economists who have come out and said that all of this is folly. And so, what I did in the second part of the book is I I shared testimony by Professor Edward King, He consulted the World Bank, taught at Princeton. You know, long uh, resume, and his testimony was before the Senate Committee on Finance, the Subcommittee in 2016. And it was so cogent, it was so articulate that um, you know, I just really felt compelled so to share the
1: basic it. Point he's trying to make what was just gonna kind of summarize the basic point he was trying to make. Professor Well King. basically
2: he called the um, the um, I'm just having a little thing on my computer here. Hold on. He called um, the banking system shameful, he used words like shameful and pernicious because of the uh, unfairness of the banks being treated differently than everybody else. Um, He talks about how you and me, the taxpayers, are stake. He says it's an unbooked equity stake inferior to ordinary shareholders at the banks, that we, who bail them out, can't trade positions. Downside liability is not limited. Upside is taxpayer positions carry no procedural or disclosure safeguards. Taxpayer positions are not recognized legally as equitable interest and too-big-to-fail managers can do and abuse taxpayers by blocking, delaying, and recovering resolution. And he goes on extensively about the inherent unfairness of this system. Um,
1: The argument against that would be uh, the government did bail out Bear Stearns and and gave them $29 billion to... Uh, merged with J.P. Morgan Chase, but when it came to it with Lehman Brothers, the government did not come in and bail out Lehman Brothers, and that caused the worldwide contagion. So that's the argument for government bailouts, is he prevent Lehman Brothers' moments.
2: Right. Well, that's, again, within the confines of the model, the way it is. Um, but he's, he's speaking to the, um, that it's unjust no matter what, because the inherent model is totally unjust. I mean, they, he he goes into extensive discussions about how the banks get better credit credit ratings because or credit rates because of the understanding that they'll be bailed out. You know that they they're subtle things like that, and he he likens it to giving an, uh, a lower insurance rate to a drunk driver. You know, I mean, it just you know he but he says it so much better than I do. <laughs> I really recommend you buy my book and read it (laughs) because it's beautifully said. And the other paper I refer to is called Does Finance Benefit Society? by an economist named Louis Zingales, who is out of the University of Chicago. And he writes, there is no empirical or theoretical evidence that all the growth in the financial sector in the last 40 years has been beneficial to society. And that's a pretty... uh, A strong statement. And I also want to throw Jeffrey Epstein in the mix. Okay. Because I read a book about him. And I just picked this quote out because, uh, well, uh, Jeffrey was talking to his brother, uh, Michael, and he was working on Wall Street. This is in the 90s. And Jeffrey said how easy it was to manipulate investors, the wild, wild west. People would be appalled at how corrupt it was. If people knew what was happening, there would be a revolution. And that's from uh, Jeffrey, Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein. On the other but, hand, uh, people
1: defend themselves. I mean, Lloyd Blankfein, the head of Goldman Sachs, always said that they're doing God's work. So is, is it not God's work that the investment banks are doing?
2: Oh, I th- that's in the book. I, that's my humor break. <laughs> because he says they're doing God's work, raising capital for companies, less than t- raising capital for companies so they'll grow and there'll be lots of jobs. Isn't that fine so he said it was virtuous their work was virtuous well john Kay, the economist another one i quote who is wonderful uh spoke to this and said that in fact raising capital for companies was less than 10 percent of goldman's business over the last previous five years (laughs) all the rest was you know trading uh trading trading and more trading but i thought that was really funny that Blank, fine, said that
1: <laughs> this is the way Wall Street public images is, is that yeah really <laughs> the, average the average little guy create jobs
2: no nope uh, not God's work I'm afraid
1: <laughs> so there but, are other things that Wall Street's doing I mean there's high frequency trading I know it's not your exp- expertise but the whole cryptocurrency market. Is again a kind of a shadow banking. It's outside of the. Well,
2: place. it's according to this documentary I just watched. It was. It, it's a symptom of of the dysfunction of the markets, kind of like you know speculating back in the twenties or thirties. You know when things were going awry, um, just another you know another uh, cycle. But uh, John Kay was another economist, and he's the third one who I uh, discuss. And uh, I don't know how much time we have left. I have a quote from him. Um, uh, Okay, well, this is like a really great quote. Uh, We need a finance sector to manage our payments, finance our housing stock, restore our infrastructure, fund our retirement, and support new business. But very little of the expertise that exists in the finance industry today relates to the facilitation of payments, the provision of housing, the management of large construction projects, the needs of the elderly, or the nurturing of small businesses. The process of the financial intermediation has become an end in itself. Mm -hmm. And that's really true because he said at Jackson Hole, uh, he was there and he said everyone was talking about exchange rate concern and share price concern, and there was never any discussion of the real economy, production, jobs, everything is inside those cables, you know, over our heads, and uh, it's not—it's—it's—it's—they're encapsulated, and uh, and we're not. Most people don't know about it. Most and you don't see it, uh, and, and basically, he said, "What is created by financial innovation, not railroads, but instead, you know, the uh, the concerns I mentioned."
1: In the roughly two minutes we have left, Mary, just kind of summarize what people should be looking for uh, now that they understand the situation better and what could unravel the whole system that we have there, the repo system.
2: I really don't know. The only thing I can think of, sadly, is another crisis would, you know, bring it down because it's, it's just, it, I mean, I feel like, like the court jester, you know, <laughs> it, because it's just so big. Obviously, but um, but not but it's irrefutable that it's damaging and people need to know this. Um, the UN said financialization, which is the overtaking of the economy by financials, is an uh, largest biggest contributor to income inequality. Uh, there's a study that, unfortunately, I didn't read till after I finished the book, but it talks about how the trend was that companies like GE and um, General Motors. You know, they switched their their models to uh, to repo and to those kind of, you know, short-term investments. And at the expense of creating jobs, you know, they changed, they shifted their model. Not um, Non-financial companies into the financial services business rose by like 20% to uh, 50% of non-financial companies were involved in it by the 1980s. So uh, it, it was a real shift. It's You know, there's big shifts going on here. And and they're all shift away from the ground, uh, from the from being grounded in in jobs and and construction. You don't see high speed rail anywhere, do you? You don't see, uh, you know, high
1: it's speed it. trading instead, financial engineering. Indeed, yes, very good. But well, we've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Mary Tuthill.
2: Can I add one thing?
1: Very quickly, yes.
2: Okay, At the last chapter is uh, Ellen Brown's book, uh, Banking on the People. Recommended reforms that are out there that can su- supplant the system, and that's the last chapter.
1: Very good. So again, my my guest has been Mary Tuttle. Her book is called Repo Madness: A Simpleton's Guide to the Street's Wicked Ways. You can find out more about her. You get the book at Amazon and also website Repo. Walk. No,
2: no, you can't buy it at Repo. You can just get it at Amazon.
1: You get the book at Amazon, but Repo. Does- <laughs> Peoplewatch.org can give you more information. That's right. Thanks so much, Mary. We we really learned a lot in the last hour. Thank you. I hope so. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.